Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or, well, even if they don't. Today is Thursday, April the 22nd, 2021. And I know what you're thinking. Well, it's Thursday. It's a Just Jack show, or it's a feedback show. Nope, 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 nope. Interviews, two in a row. Uh, yesterday, we had one of the best interviews we've had this year, I believe, on the air with uh, Christian Westbrook, the Ice Age Farmer. Uh, today we have a returning guest. He was on the show twice last year. Some of you are going to be really happy when I tell you his name because you're literally richer for him having been here before. His name is Draith Kata, and he is the captain of the good ship Pirate R, uh, Pirate Chain Cryptocurrency, uh, the one cryptocurrency in 13 years of doing the show that when I learned about it, I said, you need to buy this. Like I've said, like, I think you should, or maybe you should check this out, or here's one I really like, and maybe you should get some Bitcoin. And uh, I've done that over the years. But this was the first one I said, you need to buy this. You need this in your life. Back then it was eight cents, eight cents, uh, a, sh a share or a coin or what have you. And uh, it, today it's over $7. And if it goes back down to $4, like, do I really care? No, no, no. That is an incredible gain. Um, and it's because it is the best privacy coin there is, period. Like, there is no second, there's nothing that it's second to. It is an incredible, incredible piece of technology. It allows 100% private uh, commerce. And we're going to hear some things about it today, how it may, in time, enable private commerce, even if you're not using it, with what's called a back-end atomic swap. Well, the reason I have Draith on today, though, really isn't because Pirate Chain went up so much. That just happened. That just happened at the same time that all this started. I started digging more into something called the BPSAA. Um, and the BPSAA is the Blockchain Privacy Security and Adoption Alliance. And this is a group of companies that are working together, a group of crypto projects working together, to develop as much technology for the average person to use to protect their security and their privacy as possible. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. We're going to talk about Sentinel, for in instance, even though it's not Draith's project, uh, which is enabling uh, distributed VPNs so that you can actually use a VPN that actually is a VPN. Let's just put it that way. Like We're going to talk about EtherOne uh, and how they're enabling basically a second Internet so that if somebody tries to take down your website, it's still there. You understand the power of that. Um, we're going to talk about Ergo. We're going to talk about all of these different projects, little bits here and there. We're going to talk a lot about Pirate Chain. We're going to talk about blockchain in general. And we're talking about liberty. We're going to talk about liberty. We're going to talk this is a Pirate Chain. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the role that pirates played in uh, securing the liberty of the United States that you live in today, you know, if we go back to the time of the uh, American Revolution. Um, we're going to talk about how pirates are generally not really the bad guys that people make them out to be, right? They, they really, are, they're not. They were more smugglers generally than stealers. Uh, and how that fits in with the concept of a private currency where you can conduct private business between your, yourself and anybody else the hell you choose and not have it be anybody else's business. Um Privacy has gotten to been talked about today as being something that is uh, for nefarious purposes. 
Uh, no, privacy is privacy. Have you ever written a letter to somebody and wanted to be sure nobody else read it, even though like there was nothing bad in it, it just wasn't their business? When you have a phone call that you're talking to somebody, is there ever a time you want to keep it private so you leave the room? Not just so you're not making noise, but because it's a private conversation. Like Privacy is one of the most fundamental rights that humans have. Um, you know, people talk about the Fifth Amendment. It's really uh, that's really a right to privacy. Unless you know I've done something, I have no obligation to tell you what I may or may not have done. That's why we have to have things called search warrants for people to come in your house and go through your papers and your things. Our founders understood that this was a fundamental human right, and we are moving toward a surveillance age where privacy is becoming a thing of the past. The beauty is. If you rely on technology for an objective, then we can have a counter-technology to prevent you from securing your objective. That's what BPSAA is all about. A counter-technology, a counter-assemblage of technologies to secure a fundamental human right, the right to be secure in your person, papers, and things. And if that is evil, then the freaking Bill of Rights is evil, and there are people that seem to think that way. Before I bring Drake on, that brings me to our quote of the day. This is by John Perry Barlow. He said, relying on the government to protect your privacy is like asking a peeping Tom to install your window blinds. Yeah, I'm just going to say that these would be, today, really advanced window blinds that have cameras in them and network capability. That's the government. The government wants to know everything you're doing, everywhere you're doing it, how you're doing it, when you did it, who you talked to, where you went, what you've done, what you think, what you feel. They want to know everything. So they can really, we're getting into a point, like, I don't remember the movie. There was a movie with Tom Cruise. Was it Minority Report or something like that? Where, like, they were, like, preemptively preventing crime by determining who was going to commit a crime before they commit a crime and arresting them. Like, like that seems like the, the dystopian world that we're headed for. Drake's going to drop something on me today. You'll hear when he does it where I'm like, what? What? Because at first I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. But then it's like, what? They know before you know? It literally is what I just said. Except it's not with crime. It's with being pregnant. Do you know that there's now technologies where someone knows you're pregnant maybe before you know that you're pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. It's insane because of your shopping habits. I'm not kidding. You'll hear about all of that more today, and you'll more importantly hear what you can do about it and the courageous work being done by a project group, again, called the BPSAA, a group of projects that are doing their own thing, but they're also collaborating, working together, knowing that you know we need more than one thing to fix this and how you can use these things to enable yourself to be more private and more secure. And even though I've talked to you today, or I've talked to you many times in the past about the difference between privacy and security, They're not necessarily completely separate from each other. And we're going to talk about that today, too. I am really excited to have my guest on for a third appearance, Draith Kata, captain of the Good Ship Pirate and founder and president of the BPSAA. Hey, with that, Draith, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. Thanks for having me again, man. Appreciate it. I've got you back on today. When I, we're going to talk a little bit about our, maybe a little more than we had planned a, a couple of weeks ago. Given what just <laughs> happened, right? Uh, but I want to bring you on to talk about R, but I also want to bring you on to talk about privacy in general, BPSAA, um, and, and what's going on there. 
But for maybe people that have been under a rock and, and, and don't know what's been going on with Pirate Chain and haven't heard maybe your first inter couple interviews with us, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Who is Draith Kata and how did you get into cryptocurrency in the first place? Yes, so I am a captain of Pirate Chain. I am a uh, founder and president of the BPSAA. And I've been in blockchain since about 2016. Started off mining Litecoin and things like that and just... My interest grew from there, and then eventually I stumbled upon Pirate about a couple months after it was launched. And uh, from that point, just got hooked into it and just worked my way up to being a captain. You know, that's an interesting way to put it, worked your way up to being a captain. Usually, you know, with the, the, the exception of something like Satoshi or Team Satoshi, whatever it was, almost all the blockchain projects that have come out have kind of been like somebody was in charge or some group of somebodies were in charge, like... This was a real organic thing, wasn't it, where people just kind of like the project kind of like leaders rose to the top type of thing, and that's really still how it is today. Well, essentially what happened was it was spawned from Komodo originally. You know, they were experimenting with, you know, uh, shielded address transactions, and they were curious as to if they can have a shielded transaction only chain, which after a bunch of tests, everything worked perfectly, and they're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. So they initially had some crew on board like including captains and things like that to help run it but over time like it's a community project you know so people can are free to pitch in whenever they want or how whatever they can and then you know if you dedicate a lot of time to it you'll get promoted and then you work your way up through the ranks so it just so happened that over time you know i was putting a, like a dedicating a chunk of my time to just pirate only Hmm. And I mean, like, you know, pretty much full-time jobs worth. And, you know, it was noticed, and, you know, I just got promoted through the ranks, you know. That's really cool. I think the other thing that I really have always loved about the Pirate Chain project is that it wasn't like a money grab. It wasn't like there was a huge pre-mine. It wasn't like there's a founder's reward or something like that where it's kind of like a, a, a backhanded ICO or something. Like it was everybody's in on it. Everybody that wants to work on it can work on it. Reap the rewards as you see fit and put it out in the universe and see what the universe thinks of it. Yeah, exactly. No pre-mine, no dev fee. Like so there's no tax on block rewards, nothing. So it was completely fair launch and anybody who wanted to pitch in could pitch in. Give uh, people that maybe are not familiar with Pirate the condensed version of what Pirate is and what makes it so unique as far as uh, a privacy, a true privacy currency. Sure. So Pirate is a you know shielded transaction only chain, meaning that it only does private transactions, right? So the difference between that and say like Monero is that PyroChain uses ZK-SNARKs, which is a privacy protocol where the best way to really think about it is it's like if I have a dollar in my pocket and then I want to give it to you, if I were to use Monero, I'd put it under a cup, shuffle the cups, and then you know which okay. cup it's under. So it's hard to figure out exactly what, you know, from the outside looking in where that money is. However, with PyroChain and ZK-SNARKs, it's like having a dollar in my pocket it disappearing from my pocket and reappearing in your pocket with nobody at the Pfizer. Yeah, and there's like there's it, it literally is like that. It's it's another way we call it pirate. And I listened to somebody on YouTube describe it this way recently. Is like I have a chest buried in my backyard and no one knows where it is. And then it's almost like I think I want Drake to have a hundred dollars. 
And then it just dematerializes. A hundred bucks worth of my treasure dematerializes out of my chest and materializes into your chest like Star Trek almost. Like it's, it's just beam there. And there's nobody able to monitor the beam. If you go look at the blockchain explorer, it's basically uh, zeros. It doesn't really say anything. It does what it's supposed to do, but no one can see anything, at least without what we call a viewing key, and that's completely under the user's control. Yep, and that's uh, essentially all it shows is transactions happen, but they don't. you don't see the addresses that transact, you don't see the amounts, you don't see ritualists, nothing. It's just literally all you see is transactions that occurred, but nothing, no details on them. Shielded input, shielded output, go away. I mean, it's... It's, it was like one of when I first had you on, and I went and looked at it. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. This is it's nothing. <laughs> it's nothingness, and it's beautiful, and it's nothingness. Um, what's new other than the fact that like when I had you on the first time back in early November, uh, the price was eight cents a coin, and this was the first time. And I've been talking about cryptocurrency since 2014. This was the first time that I I didn't say I think you should buy this. I think you should. I said you need to own this. Right, yeah. so you need. I said you need to get involved with this. Uh, even Bitcoin, I was like, you know, I think it'd be a really good idea that if you, you know, this back, you know, going back when Bitcoin was a few hundred bucks, like, I, I, I really think this would be a good idea. Pirate, I was like, you need. Like, I could tell what was going to happen, but it, it freaking exploded. I'm looking at it right now. A couple of weeks ago, it was like forty cents, and today it's over Something seven, like seven bucks, seven dollars and fifty seven cents. Uh, so, other than the price exploding. Uh, what's new at Pirate Chain? Oh, man. Um, just a massive, massive increase in user base, uh, massive increase in social attention. We've gotten um, a shout-out on investing.com mm. talking about you know how privacy coins are on the rise, and we got a huge section dedicated to us on you know, our increase and in our privacy protocol and stuff, and Zero Hedge also mentioned mentioned us, which is huge. So we've gotten a lot of attention on that end. Uh, we're you know we've uh, attended we're attending uh, the Miami Crypto Experience, which is this week. So we got some crew down there now. Um, working on some additional big things that I'm under an NDA, so I can't talk about. But sure. all I can say is big stuff. Um, and yeah, just continuing development. We're trying to. Uh, make it so that exchanges have an easier time dealing with us because, you know, we're not the average coin, and a lot of times we're treated like an average coin, you know, hence why you see sometimes, like, you know, the uh, stuff goes under maintenance for deposits and withdrawals on exchanges and stuff. So we're working on a ways to resolve that. Um, yeah, and things like that, man. Like, we're we're moving in the right direction, man. that's for damn sure. So. Well, I knew it was big when you got on Changely. I was like, oh, that's going to be good. And I, talk about that for a second because this is like the power of community. Like, it, like people think like, well, you just ask an exchange and then they, you know, put you on there because they love you. No, there's an expense. There's a process. It's difficult to get onto these larger mainstream exchanges. And you guys kind of went to the community and said, help us out, and they did. And it, I think anybody that that threw some 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 treasure in the in the chest there for that just went. That was a good investment. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, they cost, what, 50 grand for us Holy to do that? Oh, crap. Yeah, and, um, and that's, uh, by today's standards, especially with some of the stuff that some of the exchanges are charging, it's just insane. 
but Changely was actually pretty fair about it. And on top of that, you know, we're thankful for all the community donations because, like I said, we're a community project. We don't have the people that like me that are working for the project. We don't get paid. Yeah. We do this because we truly believe in it. So as far as funding goes, it, we try not to ask the community as uh, like very often for funds and things like that because, you know, we try to do everything as best as we can without funding, you know. Mm-hmm. But when we do, it's just a, an outpour of support and just funding out the wazoo for stuff like this because they believe in the project and they believe that, you know, this will really push the project forward more. So we had um, even JL777, who's uh, the core dev of Komodo, threw in half of that amount because he's like, wow. you know, I'll match all the community donations. So we had a ton of people flood in, throwing you know the 25k really quickly, and then JL matched that, and then got the process started for Changely. That is badass, and it, it, it clearly had part of this impact anyway. I think was getting out onto. A large exchange. I was saying from the very beginning, as the, as you guys were like getting more and more notoriety, and your price was going up, and you know, went from eight to like thirteen to like twenty, and I'm like, wait till this gets on one main, because I'm like, you realize this is a small amount of trading volume on lesser known and in some cases hard, maybe not harder to use, but more sophisticated knowledge necessary. Exchanges like Polarity's great. I'm so glad you turned me on to those guys. But like, I can see the person who yesterday did KYC so they could get fiat into Bitcoin, trying to figure out how to buy R on Polarity. Going, I, 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 I don't know what to do here, right? And so, getting into an exchange that makes things really easy, especially small swaps on the outside, like the the swap side, that had to be just massive for exposure. Oh, absolutely. And again, the cool thing too is that like. With all this influx of users, uh, we get so many messages about, like, support tickets, things like that, which is driving us nuts because, like, <laughs> it's just going from a decent amount to, like, an overload. We're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You know? But the beauty of that is that we work pretty closely with Polarity, so uh, they'll be enabling their uh, their new deposit system soon to where you don't need the memo field for depositing anymore. And on top of that, they're going to have fiat onboarding services, too. Mm. So you won't need to necessarily buy from Changely to do anything on Polarity. You can just do it all on Polarity. So How's that going to work if you can say, like, are they going to have to do KYC for that? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, that's the unfortunate thing about yeah. that. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. But if you can get in, you know, and you don't mind getting in via KYC, then, you know, it's a good way to do it. And I would point out that once it turns into pirate, it's gone like a fart in the wind anyway. That's that's the other side of it. Like, it just yeah. vanished. I tell everyone that I have 17R, and I say, prove me wrong. <laughs> 17. I have three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, is, is, it, is it a lie? Not really, if you understand math. I didn't say that was all I had. I just said I have three. Uh, <laughs> so part of what I wanted to talk about, too, and a bigger, like, macro reason that I wanted to bring you on was privacy in general and the work that is uh, that you're doing through the BPSAA. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit more. There's some things going on that are directly related to our things with other projects. But just can we start mm-hmm. out with what is the BPSAA? What, what is it all about? And, and why did it get put together in the first place? Sure. 
So the BPSA stands for the Blockchain Privacy, Security, and Adoption Alliance. And originally it was an idea from uh, one of our crew members, Dream Tim, about, you know, working together with other projects. You know, because these days, like, these days, even these days, like, you don't see projects working together and collaborating together. Mm-hmm. And the original idea behind, you know, blockchain stuff was for everyone to come together and build up this amazing thing. But then it started splintering off into, you know, altcoins and all these other different things. And it's just, you know, everyone's kind of pigeonholed at this point. So I kind of took that idea and ran with it because there used to be something called the Z Alliance, which kind of fizzled out. It was between, you know, ZK Snarks protocol uh, chains and things like that. So basically I got together with um, Wolf from Turtle Network and um, a bunch of other guys from... Uh, uh, Ether One and Sentinel, and we're like, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's form an alliance and then grow from there. We can do a lot of cool things by working together. So we did. So we announced it last year in February, I think. And from that point, we grew from just those four members to adding Ergo, which is an amazing platform. Um, we added Burst. We added um, uh, BitTube. We added um, several other projects like Dragon Chain and Komodo and things like that and basically grew so large that we're now we're at, we're at the point like, okay, let's, let's settle down a bit and <laughs> let's focus on what we're intending to do, you know? So basically what we're intending to do is educate the public on privacy and security with blockchain and how it improves everything and how you need it, you know? Because these days everyone's under surveillance and things like that. So you need to preserve your own privacy in any way that you can. And blockchain is a great way to do that. You know, like for example, spending R on purchases, right? Because this way, you know, you purchased something. The other person knows you purchased it, but nobody else does because it's none of their business. Right. Absolutely. Things like, things like that. Um, You have Sentinel who has a, a decentralized VPN service that they have. So by working with them, we're going to be creating a, we're, PyroChain's creating a new operating system so that um, we can include all the members of the BPSA. So you'll be able to run your wallet on top of that. You'll be able to connect through a VPN using Sentinel. You can have decentralized private storage with uh, Ether1 and things like that. Just basically getting all the members into, you know, collabing into certain products like that. And another thing what we're trying to do at the BPSA is create a um, point-of-sale system, too, to where it'll utilize polarity and things like that to where the customer can go to the merchant, pay with, say, Pirate Chain, and protect their own privacy with that, all while it go routes through polarity and then ends up in the, customer, in the store owner's hands as whatever currency they want. So if they want to accept just USDT or Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever, they can but at the same time, the customer himself can still protect their privacy by spending Pyrochain or use whatever currency that's available on the app. You know what I mean? No, I do, and I think that's one of the most amazing things out there. My, my background is actually in telecom, and what, what I'm hearing is basically a form of multiplexing where, um, you know, the, the way we used to do long-distance calls is there would be 20, 20 calls on one pair of uh, copper and they were all combined and then broke apart and put back together on the other side. That way you could get more across the same pipeline. And uh, that's yeah. kind of what you're doing for a totally different reason, right? And, like, the level of obfuscation there can be huge because 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that maybe it doesn't necessarily go through as a single transaction. It might be like I spent a hundred bucks, it might be broken to like three of various amounts and reassembled on the other end, so that you don't have an equal in equal out way to see what's actually going on. Like because like. Numeric matching is one way they try to get around encryption, right? Like if you see I sent you $113.71, you can kind of see where that came out the other side. I guess if you start off in a shielded address, anyway, you can't see that side anyway, I know. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm saying is like if I uh, sent Litecoin and used this technology to to hide it, like if Litecoin comes out the other end, you see what I'm saying? Like there's there's seems like Tons of ways to make this even more complicated for people that want to know things they don't need to know. Yeah, exactly. And um, another thing that we're doing is we actually started up a podcast recently for uh, you know, privacy, and, privacy and security. So the first episode, which was released on Tuesday of this week, uh, featured uh, Wookie from Pirate Chain. It featured uh, hash rates from Ether One. Kushti, who's a huge name with Ergo, and even Ruben from Fiero. So we had all four talking about, like, you know, discussing privacy and just the different things that are ca happening these days and giving their opinions and stuff. And then the next episode we're having, um, uh, it's going to be on data privacy featuring Sentinel, BitTube, and a couple others. So it's we're trying to basically get this out to the public to actually educate everyone on privacy and show different uh, show different opinions but at the same time explaining why privacy is really important why security is really important why those two are hand in hand as well whether it's you know financial privacy data privacy you name it yeah i think there's a, a point where you have to start looking at security differently because like i always do try to explain that security and privacy are different but they're, the, they're like tommy chong the same but different man In that, yeah. like, if I put you in the most secure house on the planet, but it's made out of, like, 12-inch thick bulletproof glass, and no one can get to you, people can fire a freaking law rocket at it, it bounces off, you're very secure, but you have no privacy because everybody can look inside. However, we don't exactly. live, you know, and that's a good way to understand it, but we don't live in houses like that. So the very fact that I might have an address that becomes publicly known that it's associated with me, and somebody looks at it and says, oh, look at all that money. Well, as soon as they know who I am, I could end up with a gun to my head, and we want your seed phrase, right? Like that's so that's where privacy and security do overlap. Like there's more reasons to keep things private just than I don't want the government to know. It's like I don't want anybody to know because by someone knowing what you have, that in itself becomes a security risk. Yeah, no, exactly. And it, it's something I think a lot of people need to think more about, and like. If we can, I mean, I know that, like, Pirates, you're thing, you're the head of BPSAA. These are other people's projects, but I'd like to maybe go through just a few of them with a little bit more understanding of what's going on and how this all kind of holistically fits together. Like, Sentinel is something I'm very, very interested in, and it's what's known as a distributed VPN. Can you explain, you know, what that is? Understanding it's not your project, but what that is and why somebody might want it. Yeah, so essentially what that is, is instead of having centralized servers and things like that specifically for users to connect to, um, the DVPN on Sentinel's side essentially allows users to offer themselves as those nodes so that this way people can route through them instead of routing through actual uh, centralized servers, which makes it a lot better for 
you know, trying to keep yourself private. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just think about it. If like one of those no, one of those centralized servers, or say all of them get you know compromised, you're screwed. Whereas if you go through the actual users offering that, which there's tons and tons of them, not only will you potentially have better service, but you'll be essentially way more private and more secure than you would on centralized versions. And you can be literally using a different node every day. You can pick a different person, and the yeah. person running that is going to then be compensated, I think, in, in, in cent is their their native token. Now, I was looking at that. I actually have the wallet. I haven't bought any of it yet, but it looks like it's an ERC-20 token, which has all the cash fees and everything. It looks like they're moving to a different chain or something like that. Yeah, they're moving to Cosmos. Okay. They should have just used Pirate, but I understand why people want their native token. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you guys well, have, like, the you... greatest privacy coin ever, like... Well, you know? here's the interesting thing, too, is that potentially in the future, you'll be able to use Pirate Chain for those services. Mm. That That's one sense. of the things that we're uh, talking about, basically, uh, within the BPSA, is being able to utilize each other's uh, coins or tokens for each other's services. So figure out solutions to do that. Interoperability, you know, that's it's it's the same as your wall plug. It doesn't matter what you buy, it fits in that 110 outlet. And that's the more we can do that, the better. Um Yeah, I, yeah. ERC twenty just seems like a bad idea right now to me. Um, I hope Ether fixes yeah, their stuff, you know. But yeah, it's just so. so it may be a great thing a year and a half from now, but right now it sucks. Um, but yeah, I mean the DVPN idea just seems like a no brainer, and then that's a way to participate in the network. Like a lot of times, people think of blockchain projects where you you know you mine or you run a node wallet and you're participating, you're helping. But in this case, you actually are compensated in a different way. By being an access point, you're able to earn some of that native token, uh, and yet I don't need to know that it's you using my access point. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's a completely trustless relationship. And I think one of the things people struggle with, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, is the power of open source, where people are like, well, how do I know? That they're not stealing my information. How do I know that there's not like some worm, you know, sending all this to the NSA? And the way I've always explained it is like, so there are people that when somebody puts code like this out, you know, into the universe and says this is what we're doing, this is anybody can look at the code. They live to be the guy that can go, got you. Like, like it's it's audited at a level that I don't think because it's anybody from any place can audit that code and look for anything like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it gives a level of trust to the people using it because they can see, especially for those who can recode, can see, okay, this is exactly what it does and nothing more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's hard for people to get their head around. The other thing I keep hearing from people is, oh, this cryptocurrency this is going to shut you all down someday, you know, and it's like, That's not how this works. But then they're like, "Well, they're just going to shut off the internet, you know, or whatever." And I'm like, "Well, first of all, you have bigger. You have bigger. If they shut the internet off, if the internet's gone, we have we have bigger problems than our than our our wallet balance for our R or whatever." Um, but the yeah. other side is we're we're like a lot of what you guys are doing. BPSA is almost not even almost. It's it's literally building like a parallel universe uh, of internet technology. Like its own internet is the way this is going long term. Yeah, I mean, that, and plus uh, we applied to be a 501c3 nonprofit so that we can actually, you know, utilize the you know, tax benefits for people that want to donate to the platform and stuff. 
So this sure. way we can grow even faster. And on top of that, you know, produce technologies that will help the everyday user stay private and secure. Because, mm. I mean, that's the most important thing these days, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned some other uh, companies that are part of the BPSA. Ether One, what, what exactly do they do? So they're a decentralized IPFS storage system. So in other words, what you can do is you can upload your content onto their IPFS storage system, and it'll be hosted there for however many tokens it costs to do that. And from that point, nobody can take it down, you know, other than you. So you can have literally a link to that, and from that point, it's it's up there, you know. So anybody can access it if you want them to, you know. You don't ha if you don't give out the link, nobody knows it's, it's there, you know. But so you can have it as a personal storage system if you wanted to. But I could take like the survival podcast that who knows someday the people from you know uh, all metal servers or whatever could come to me and say uh, we hate you now. And we're going to shut you off, and all of that could be redundantly hosted under IPFS. And sorry, you can, you know, I'll, it's it's still there. It can't. So what we're talking about is like if you look at a company like Parler, um, Amazon Web Service just said, yeah, we don't like you anymore, and just shut them off. And so you're like I yep. said, it's almost like a parallel universe where there's this other internet, and. The more I look at all of these people working together and all the different things that they do, and the enabling of commerce completely privately by private chain, Ether One creating basically a parallel internet uh, access point, uh, Sentinel creating a, a completely private way to to be a user online and not be able to be seen what you're doing and access things. They like, well, you're from America, you can't see this. Well, now I'm, now I'm from France. Right or you're from mm -hmm. France, you can't see this. Well, now I'm in America, right? Like, and to be able to do yep. that truly privately, I talked about this. God, all the way back in like 2014, the concept of like a virtual nation, like there's this literally like almost a separate nationality where people voluntarily associate with each other, and I, I I always knew it was a thing, but I could never figure out how to do it. And everybody that tried to do it was basically a, a pump and dump ICO with a WordPress you know friend site or something. And like so, this yeah. actually enables that to happen organically. Like, and, and people can participate at whatever level. And it, it's almost like you could have a a second identity within this world. That you know, it doesn't matter what uh, you know authority says over in this world. Like, when I'm in your world, I'll obey your rules. And when I'm in my world, I'll do you know what's what's kosher in my world. And and we have these two separate worlds almost emerging. Yeah, and the beauty too is that. Even with the emergence of the Internet and social media, all this other stuff, they we're still separated by lines. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, like you're in France, you can't see something that's shown everywhere else. Or you're in America, you can't see stuff that's shown around the world, you know? So with the stuff that you're able to do within, uh, like, the BPSA, like what we're creating and all the individual projects you're creating, it's getting rid of those lines. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's getting yeah. out of those lines to where you can do, you can interact with anybody. You can, you know, see things that aren't shown in your particular country for whatever reason there is. It could be stupid reasons too, you know. So it it, it basically gets rid of those lines to get users closer and closer together and bring everyone together. Yeah, because I know there's some things that are like, well, you can't see that, you know, like a movie or something. Let's say, and I'm like, no, you can't see that. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I, I could see that because I understand the, yeah. one of the most basic privacy texts. But like when, when I started looking at Sentinel, I had no idea that VPN providers had been hacked. And through that hacking, we learned that they were storing customer data because, you know, when the customer data got stolen, they kind of had to say, uh, um, guys, uh, uh, you, your data was breached. And it, the, the response from the community is that, what data? And, and so they were, yeah. they were storing private data that they were supposed to be keeping private by not storing it. But the temptation to make money off of a commodity is something that's, fairly irresistible to human beings, right? Like, I have this information, I can... And what they were doing, they weren't doing it because, oh, well, we should just keep it in case someday there's, you know, it's the new library of Alexandria or something. It was like, we're going to monetize this. So, accordingly, you know, it's like we were, well, we were selling data, but not your data. We were selling patterns and, you know, trend data that were macro, not micro. Bullshit. Like, you're going to sell whatever you yeah. can get away with selling. So, like, what Sentinel did is they just did away with it. Like, you, you you can't be tempted by a power you don't have. If you throw the ring into the into the volcano and it melts, it's gone. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, like, you know, data mining, like, actual people data mining is one of the most lucrative businesses in the world right now. And things like you wouldn't even expect. Like, for example, your uh, MVP card at your local food store. You know, they use that data huh. to target you with ads. So they're mining your data, and you're giving it willingly because, oh, I'll get cheaper prices. Yeah, you get cheaper prices, but at what cost? You know no, what I mean? that's a true story, and I have a concrete example. This is years ago. I mean, we're like 10 maybe years ago. I went to a Tom Thumb store. It was in the middle of an ice storm, and we were kind of, like, stuck in. So it's like we needed something to do, and, and I managed to get out to the store. And I was looking at, like, the cheap DVDs because people actually use DVDs. That's how long ago this is. And there was a, an old miniseries from the 80s called The Blue and the Gray about the Civil War. And I'm like, yeah, it's something to watch while we're stuck in. So I grabbed it. I used my Tom Thumb discount card. The next week, my Amazon feed was loaded with shit about the Civil War. That's not a oh, coincidence. Yeah. That's not a coincidence. Yeah. And here's something even scarier, right? Target is actually so good at this that they have, they've built an algorithm that basically uh, figures out exactly what, what you're buying. And then they are able to predict, like, with a very high percentage whether or not you're pregnant. <laughs> and there was, uh, there was one instance of this where, I, and I'm pretty sure this is a true story where a girl actually uh, was pregnant, didn't know it, and then started getting advertisements for diapers and things like that, and she was underage. And the father found out, was like, why are, why are these sending us these ads for diapers and stuff? Come to find out, she was actually pregnant. So, so it wasn't that she was it, buying baby stuff. It's like when you're pregnant, you start having a change in behavior. Like, is that mm -hmm. what you're saying? Like, you, you, you before yeah. you know... Before you know, they know because hormonal changes cause a behavioral change. Yeah, to a relatively high percentage uh, success rate, they're able to predict that based off of the change in habits and things like that, yeah, and what you're buying and what you're eating and everything. I don't know if you ever read the book Origin by Dan Brown about artificial intelligence, but when you, when, when you look at that world and, and the world you just described coming together, it's scary as shit. 
Like that's 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 like horrifying. Oh yeah, and here's the crazy thing too. Like for example, Facebook, right? Facebook didn't have to be the data mining operation that it is today, right? No. The thing is, is that, it's like, basically, you are selling all of your data that you put on there for a grand total of eight bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So if they had charged users eight dollars, or say ten dollars, they would have made more money. On top of that, nobody would have to give up their personal data. They wouldn't have to actually. Skim your data and sell it to other people. You know, and they could have even charged more and made it a freemium model, like and gave you extra things and extra. Uh, uh, kind of, that's kind of what MeWe does. Like people that use MeWe a lot of times buy the premium thing for seven bucks, uh, and they don't. They don't. A lot of times you don't even use it. It's just like, hey, this platform works and I like it, and I don't want it to go away. Like. Absolutely, they could have done that, but I don't think that was ever their intention. It was like I think it was designed to be what it became from day one. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's partly why it was funded so much from our our own money. Like you know, I was listening to I listened to that podcast and they were talking about like should you always have privacy and everything all the time? And one of the I don't remember who it was brought brought up the point of like, well, maybe not like government. Maybe government should have to have all their spending on a blockchain that is auditable by the public, right? It'd be interesting that would to be see. Fantastic. Yeah, like you know what? You guys want us to disclose everything. You take our money. Why doesn't every government entity have a hundred percent of their spending on an auditable blockchain so we can see where the money goes? Why doesn't every congressman have a hundred percent of their freaking contributions from lobbyists on a blockchain where it's auditable? Right? I think it would be a really yeah. interesting thing. Like. My, I'm a private citizen. My assets and what I do should be private up until the point that I harm somebody. Um, you took my money. You're a public servant or you're a public entity. The public should be able to see what you're doing. Yeah, and see, the thing is, there's certain things that, like, I personally believe that shouldn't be private, right? For okay. example, like what you're saying, like uh, public officials, right? I would say that if it'd be like if you go from a private citizen to a public official, all of a sudden from that point on everything is public, right? All of the all the money you get in, things like that. This way you can see, okay, there's no backhand deals of just random funding going to this guy that we don't know about. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, including so you your company that, that, including your company that does street sweeping in Dallas, right? Like if you're associated yeah. with that. And I think what people understand is, like, I've run for public office. The disclosures are massive. But there's no way to really, for me, like you say, if Draith is uh, my congressman from you know, my district in Texas, the data is there, but it's impossible to really audit for, an, for me as a private yeah. citizen and know what you're doing. But if you put that shit on blockchain with chain analysis, you know, I, there might be a congressman going to jail once a month. That would be interesting. Probably, you know, three times a month. <laughs> I'm just thinking it would go down once they yeah. knew, right? Like, it would oh, be like, because yeah. we always talk about holding them accountable. And, like, that's the phrase that, like, I, I want to shove two carrots in my ears and bloody my eardrums and never hear again when people say they're going to hold them accountable. No, you're not. Yeah. We, we haven't hold them, oh, held oh. them accountable for, for centuries. And all of a sudden you're going to hold them accountable today. But if you did something like that, you might actually be able have something. Like, because the way you hold somebody accountable is you have to have some sort of power or authority over them. 
And we have no, we have nothing. Yeah. You know, you get to go to the beggar's box once every two years and vote, which means square root of F all. And you get to change your criminal yeah. out maybe. But there's no accountability. None of these people ever go to jail for anything. But if you had oh, yeah. concrete, traceable, hey, look what happened here. Because that's what they want to do to us. That's this whole Fed coin thing. And um, I just got a document today released by um, Kraken that's basically what's going on with centralized, you know, uh, government uh, coins and, and where they're coming with that. And I also recently got my hands on a PDF that is a document being used internally by the IRS for telling their auditors how to audit businesses to look for hidden crypto activity. Like, And when you yeah. start looking at this, you realize what they want. They want complete and total visibility into everything that everybody does ever. And and yet they don't oh, want yeah. anything disclosed from their end back to us. Like, you know... I'm sorry, I don't. I, I yeah, think we got that backwards. <laughs> yeah, and the sad thing too is that you know we like the people are the ones technically that should be in power because we're the ones who elect these people, so they should be doing what we tell them to do. Rather, Agreed. nowadays it's the opposite. It seems like you know what I mean. No, I know Where exactly. They do whatever the hell they want. And they don't give two craps about the public as long as they can hide what they're doing behind scenes and just act like, hey, I'm great. So when we look at all that and we, we understand that they do want control over us, how do we continue to resist this without ending up with targets on our back? I mean, I love things like decentralized exchanges. You know, like I said, I, I really appreciate that you switched me on to polarity, but like what I see them doing long term and long term being relatively short in human life years, you know, this is moving fast mm -hmm. now, is regulating the on and off ramps and, and into and out of fiat. Um, and then then they might start clamping down more on, like, privacy coins like Monero or R. You know, how do we maintain our private economy in a world where it feels like they want to choke us out at some point? Well, we just continue doing what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> Essentially... You know, like the thing, I mean, no joke, like, yeah, continue progressing like we're progressing and to the point where we're so big that literally, what are they, they, they'll have to shut down a massive economy that'll lose them money. Yes. And lose a ton of their friends' money. You know what I mean? And yeah. friends as in like big corporations and powerful people, things like that. Because the moment that we get to a point where hey, the general public is actually transacting with this stuff, accepting it in their stores and things like that. If we shut that down, we're going to screw ourselves in the long run, or actually especially in the short term too. Yeah. So if we continue pushing with adoption and things like that and actually have everyone able, have everyone able to transact with stuff like Monero and Pirate Chain and other privacy coins and things like that, you know, it'll be a lot harder to just shut down and put a clamp on it. And things like that. And then also on top of that, you'll have obviously those, you know, people in power that have some of that stuff, like have some privacy coins that actually will fight for it because now they have a vested interest. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see it happening. It's not private, but you can see it happening with Bitcoin right now. You get an asset up to a trillion dollar asset. I guarantee you within that network, there's going to be some people we call lobbyists. And so, oh, absolutely. so it's not congressmen. I say this all the time. It's not congressmen and senators that write laws. 
right? It's it's lobbyists, yeah. right? And it's oligarchs and it's technocrats. And like the more of that that gets adopted, the more of that apparatus turns towards some level of well, let's defend the fort. I'm also starting to see this. Like I, I started using the term digital gold for Bitcoin a long time ago, and I knew people. Like, people get really upset about it. Their, their ass gets all burnt on fire. And it's like, I don't think you get what I'm talking about here. And I think we're starting to see it come into play where when you start seeing major corporations like MicroStrategy and Tesla and all putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, you start moving more and more toward that world of, of digital gold. I think what a lot of people that are like gold bugs don't understand is gold was always the money of the wealthy, the uber wealthy. And silver was the money of the common man. And in our country, we had a thing back in the 1870s called the Crime of 1873, where they demonetized silver. Right. In fact, the whole won't get into it today, but the whole the whole story, the original story of the Wizard of Oz, that's what that's really about. Uh, Dorothy's slippers were not ruby like they were in the movies; they were made out of silver. So you had the silver slippers on the yellow brick golden road going to the Emerald City with the man behind the curtain. Right, the greenbacks. Right, that's what that was all about. And what we're having today is like a technological version of that. It's not Litecoin that I think will be the silver if we call silver the common man's currency. It's privacy coins. It's privacy Absolutely. coins. And, and now you have something like go ahead and demonetize that. Well, how are you going to do it? As long as you and I are willing to trade in pirate. It doesn't matter if it'll go on or off a fiat ramp. All it matters is what is its value in the economy that it circulates in, and that's how exactly. Bit, that's how Bitcoin worked until finally everyone's like, what they're doing now is they're like, well, shit, we can't stop this. This is impossible. So let's regulate, let's control, let's co-opt, and I think that opens up the the, the gateway for what you guys are doing with BPSAA and Pirate and all these technologies, okay, well, then let's create this common man's universe. And and honestly, we may end up being wealthier than they are because the market is the only thing that makes society work. Without the Agora, right, you don't have society. The only way you can get people, like, if think about anything you buy. You go to the store and you buy this thing that's exactly what you need. Let's say a a magazine for a handgun, and there's metal, there's springs, there's plastic, and there's a thousand processes that happened for all those raw materials to get assembled that way, be shipped, and be sitting at the shelf that you went to get it. All the people that worked together on that didn't do it because they like each other. They did it because they all had an individual way to make a contribution and be compensated for it. And if you take yep. away that, you don't have a society. Society isn't government. Society isn't the state. Society is the individuals collectively working because each one has an incentive to do so. And if, yep. you, if you have control of that, that's, I think, why they're scared shitless of this, because it's literally that powerful. You're making, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, pirates are pretty good at it, we're making smuggling a virtue. Like, that's... <laughs> That's the point of this. Smuggling is virtuous because it is virtuous to be a participant in making other people's lives better, and it's okay to benefit from that. Yeah, I mean, hell, even pirates back in the day freed slaves and stuff that were owned by the government. I had they, a, pirates. Like, yeah, there were some bad pirates, obviously, but for the most part, pirates <laughs> got a bad rap. <laughs> they got they they didn't steal from the poor. You know, you don't yeah. hear about pirates stealing from the poor. You hear them. Stealing from, you know, government ships and stuff. 
Well, and a lot of times they weren't stealing anything. They were bringing in items that weren't supposed to come in. Like, that happened a lot. Well, that's true, too, yeah. Yeah, uh, in the lead-up to the uh, the American Revolution, like, uh, I can't think of the one of the founders' names now that was not Sam Adams. It was a guy that was really tied in with Sam Adams that, like, he he put a lot of funding in, and he was making his money by smuggling rum and wine into the colonies, getting around the import tariffs, and it wasn't just, I think people don't understand that about the revolution, it wasn't just taxation, it was, you will buy these things from our other companies, right, or our other colonies, like, you can't get wine or rum from here, you have to get it from here, and so that yep. duty might not be directly uh, applied, but it was indirectly applied on the back end, And a lot of times what the pirates were, they were free marketeers. They were not pirateers, right? So what they were doing is, well, they were going down to Jamaica and scoring rum and bringing it in on the ship and selling to people who wanted to buy it. They didn't steal anything from anybody except the yeah. crown, right? That's who they stole from the crowns. They stole the thievery back from the crown without actually having to take it. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. There's a, a link in the notes for today's show, and it was in the last show I did with you, with the, the pirate contribution to America's freedom and the revolution. And there's a lot of things like that. Like, I don't think we could have won the revolution without the contribution of pirates. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's funny, too, because, like, relating that back to today's time, you know, how pirate has a negative connotation because of, you know, certain places in the world or whatever these days. But, like, the funny part about it is that, you know, half the people love the name pirate half the people were like, eh, I don't like it. And the people that don't like it are like, oh, it'll never get adopted. It'll never work. It'll <laughs> never blah, blah, blah. And look where we're at today. <laughs> you know, uh, the way I look at that is if Disney made a movie about something, mainstream will accept it. That, that's, that's like, there's yeah. an entire franchise built on the concept of pirates, you know. And the pi you think about it, the pirate in that in that franchise is not a bad guy, right? He's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing, too, is that, like, I have kids, and they watch, you know, like, cartoons or whatever, and yeah. a lot of times, they like, they'll have a show about pirates on, like, you know, like, a kid's show about pirates, Yeah, and they put them in a good light. It's funny as hell, because you see that, that change starting to happen, where, like, the people that are that will be growing up in the next generations, it'll have a different perspective on that, and they won't have an instant negative connotation with the word pirate. You know, as, as down as I get on the general population, I think in our hearts we all know better. And just people go along yeah. and get along and they're afraid, right? But they know that this is the way. Because what it makes me think of is when I was a kid, I'm talking like teenager here, my first job I worked for a dude named, you can't even make shit like this up, Muskrat Purcell. And he owned a, <laughs> um, uh, a salvage yard, like a junkyard. And it was a great job for a kid because I was pretty handy with tools and I would just go up and he was almost never there and there'd be a list in the office And it would be like where the vehicles are, and, the, and it was just pull parts. And it would say, you know, pull these parts and put them in the bins, and then this is how much it pays. And I would go pull all those parts and, and throw them in the bin, and there'd be an envelope from the last week paying me for my work last week. And I'd just show up, you know, on Saturdays and do that and go on with my life. Well, like all my uncles and stuff, and these guys were like hardcore, you know, like Kennedy-style Democrats, union workers, the rich should pay more in taxes, all that shit. But every one of them, when they're like, so you're working for a muskrat? Yeah. Under the table? Yeah, they'd slap you on the shoulder. Attaboy. Wait a minute. I thought you were all for everybody paying their taxes, but attaboy. See, so they, they were indoctrinated into this mindset, but when it came down to them and theirs, 
Well, they didn't want to be part of it, right? They didn't want to be part of it. They were all for, you know, if you can get paid in cash, get paid in cash. And so I think that's yeah, well, Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, uh, well, the, the main problem is that the, the money that we spend for taxes goes toward a lot of stuff that is just, why is it going there? You know, for example, if you, if you started a government tomorrow and we're like, okay, I'm going to raise taxes to help improve the roads and help improve the daily lives of people. Everyone would be all for that, you know, making sure that, you know, everything like your car's not going to, not going to get jacked up because there's like two foot potholes and shit everywhere, you know, and things like that. But the problem nowadays is the fact that the money that we spend with for taxes goes towards some, all this crazy stuff that either A, has nothing to do with anything, B, benefits the rich guys or, you know, people that shouldn't be benefiting from it, or C, it's just, you know, backhand deals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, with the amount of money that we spend in taxes, the United States should have, there shouldn't be a crack in a road anywhere. If you know the mo yeah. the Marauds argument is is irrelevant because I can show you some roads that I actually consider to be fairly well maintained and they're still shit, right? Like, it, yeah. like yeah, like and then I, I think the other side of that is like the the premise then is that it is necessary to steal money in order to provide a service that everybody agrees we need. I, I find that to be absolutely asinine. Like. I guarantee you, if we didn't tax people for roads, we would still have roads. It's not like you're going to be like, I have a McDonald's here, and I have people over there, and I want to do business, but there's no roads. So, eh, screw it. Like, that's not how that would work. Like, if, pe if people that use roads are happy to pay for roads that they're using. And, in fact, our roads are mostly funded by gasoline tax, which is a usage fee, Right. It, it, yeah. it, it, but then they justify these other trillions of dollars they take. Uh, we need roads and schools and bridges, and I, you know, and then they have an infrastructure bill, right? We're starting to rant a little bit now, but it, it's it's true, right? Yeah. They have an infrastructure bill, and like, you know, I didn't know that childcare was infrastructure, but apparently, according to Kristen Gildebrand, it is, right? Like, like what isn't? If well, everything's infrastructure. Okay, well, yeah, no, and so I think people are right to be pissed and like right to resist and there's violent resistance that tends to never work out very well and then there's nonviolent resistance i think if you get a entire you know segment of the population using these technologies okay you want us to come back into your world well then give us a reason make make yeah, it where we'll voluntarily do so Earn our contribution to your system versus you're entitled to it, you know? Yeah, and imagine if, like, half the population just stopped working for a day or two or a week. Well, yeah. All of a sudden, what do you guys want? <laughs> yeah. Why, why are you doing this? Please, please continue working. <laughs> One of the scariest freaking things that's ever come out as, like, a, a media thing is a series called Black Mirror. Uh, it's a British kind of modern Twilight Zone. But there's always a different viewpoint. Like, I think it was the first episode ever was, like, all these people were on stationary bikes. And they're, like, pedaling these bikes and paying to watch these little movies and stuff. And they would earn a certain amount of money. And if they did really, really good, they could save up enough money and compete on this thing that was kind of like an American Idol thing. And they could get freedom. And they could go live, like, a celebrity lifestyle. And, and the whole point, though, was that these people were riding these bikes were basically turning a, a spindle to generate energy that made society run. So it was very metaphoric, yeah. right, that they were the engine 
that ran everything. But what you said, like as scary as the whole thing was, and is spot on as some of I don't know if you've seen it all, but as spot on as some of it is, is what like social credit, there's one of social credit scores and all, scary as shit. However, the oh. real the, the real meaning to that one to me is, well, what if every single one of those people on those bicycles just got off? Yeah. Right. If one guy gets off, you put a gun in his face and tell him to get back on his bike, right? Or you shoot him because it's yeah. only one guy in the next. But if everybody gets off, at the same time, if half of them get off, the grid goes down, right? And in this case, it's not yeah. the electric grid, it's the monetary grid, right? It's their facade, yeah. right? And like people say, well, how can you do that? Well, what if you didn't, but you did? What if you just started moving half or more of your commerce to yeah. private commerce systems? Yeah, and that's why, you know, when you want something to be really effective, you hit them where it hurts, their wallet. Because that's the bottom line for everything at this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are you guys going to do next with VPSAA? Like you said, you have the podcast. I listened to that today on the site. Like it's not, it doesn't seem like it's in any of the services yet. Are you going to get that into like iTunes and all that stuff so that people can su subscribe to it and have it hit their device? Yeah, we're eventually what we're going to do is we're going to have it on, um, a bunch of different platforms. Like, uh, I think it's on BitTube already. Um, a bunch of, we're focusing on like all the decentralized places ah. first and then obviously like some of the crap like YouTube and things like that. But, um, yeah, aside from the podcast, I mean, we'll eventually be holding events for, you know, getting people introduced to blockchain, things like that and privacy and security aspects of things like just the very fundamentals at first for people that are dipping their toes in the water because Those type of people, and especially for what I've noticed with Pirate Chain recently with you know, all the influx of people, a lot of them are brand new to crypto. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are. So it's like it's a weird transition for me to kind of talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and is pretty technical to somebody who knows nothing about crypto and having to like basically reform how I say things to make them allow them to understand exactly what I'm saying because like I'll use technical terms like half the time and then I'll realize oh wait this person doesn't understand these technical terms because they're brand new to this so let me I have to reformulate how I say things so basically doing things like that for the new for the new people in blockchain then as well as holding you know events for people that are actually you know, been in blockchain for a while that aren't don't know how to keep themselves private or secure and things like that. So holding events, um, on top of that, uh, we're going to start ramping up development. We stopped actually um, accepting uh, new members t for temporarily because, this, like I said before, we're, we've grown so much that we need to focus on what we're, why we're here. You know Get I mean? your arms around it, sort, sort of. Exactly. So on top of, uh, for the adoption stuff, we have some cool partnerships coming up that will, you know, help with adoption. Um, we're going to be developing, uh, stuff in collaboration with one another. Like I said, have a new version of Pirate OS will be one aspect of that. And there's several other things that like BitTube is going to do and, you know, all the other members are going to do to help each other out, bring everyone together and then, come out as one, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because where I kind of see this eventually heading is that I, I think that whether it's through BPSAA or some other project, we'll, we'll have like a second identity, like a way we can do business in a trustless way where we are as identifiable as I am who I say I am 
as an individual token is, right? Like you can have a tokenized identity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if somebody knows that token, they know it's me. Because if you think about identity, like people think like you get born, you get a birth certificate, that's your identity. That's really not how society works. Like your identity, my identity is the survival podcast. My identity is the work that I've done. My identity is the thousands and thousands of people that bought for me and I delivered. Like that's my actual That's my, my, that's my societal identity. If I change my name, it doesn't change that about me. And I think we can get to a point where like somehow we verify that Drath, you know, in, in this netherworld is really six, seven, eight, one, zero, nine, one, one, nine, nine, five, alpha, bravo, Charlie, right? And no one needs yeah. to know that's you over here. And you can conduct business in this virtual world based on your reputation. And there's only one of you. Kind of like a Bitcoin, right? Except it lets us kind of operate in this world, like I said, of like, okay, this is the world over here. This is my, 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 my cyber citizenry, I guess, type of thing that's all voluntary. And if you want my contributions and any input of my wealth from this world over back here in your world, your dystopian shithole, you have to entice me. You can't make me. And I think yeah. we're heading there. That's exactly where we're heading with this. And it's to me, it's fascinating. And it's to me, it's also kind of a logical evolution of humanity. If you look at it, like tyrants have never relinquished control, and they've never fully lost. All that's happened is we've just torn a little more and a little more and a little more away from them, and exerted more control. And it's and then then they have to adapt to us and like say, okay, well, we we still want to be relevant, right? You know, like so. Well, what do you what do you got? And I, I think that's a I, I'd much rather be in a position where they need you than you feel that you have to get permission from them. Yeah, and see, to add on to what you were just saying, like there's everyone has two versions of themselves, right? The public version that they allow people to see, mm. and the private version of themselves that they are that's their true selves, right? Yeah. Now, the problem or uh, the, the the solution that actually is coming about is taking back that private version of yourself because you can't be your true self unless you have privacy. Correct. Right? So the thing is, is that that has been eroded away for the longest time. And now we're finally starting to get that back by means of like financial privacy, data privacy, things like that. So that's what we're essentially taking back is our personal, uh, our pri personal and private lives. You know, because everything nowadays is pretty much public, it seems like, you know. Well, think of one of our fundamental rights, right? The right to remain silent. So if I'm accused yeah. of something, <clears throat> one of the reasons my attorney will say, shut your mouth, say nothing, is that I could, I could be completely honest, I could be completely innocent, but there could be a, a, like a way that things coincide with each other that makes me look guilty. So yeah. I could place myself at the scene of a crime without knowing a crime ever committed, and then I've given the prosecution ammunition, and I've, to be fair to the prosecutor, I've probably convinced him that he's right. He probably believes I did it now. Well, yeah. how can I remain silent if you could pull up my spending and say every place that I've been? I can't. And I mean, that's what, that's where they're heading with like FedCoin, like where they're literally, be, every penny you spent, who got it and who spent it next and where it came from. And that's, yeah. and that's unfortunately the way with chain analysis that Bitcoin's becoming. And that's going to make it, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit as we wrap up here about fungibility. Like, 
you could end up with Bitcoin basically locked down, at least if it's on exchange or something, or you could end up with, I buy something for you with, from you with Bitcoin, you spend it, somebody else spends it, five levels down the row, somebody uses it for something actually really bad, but I'm the one KYC'd to it, and all of a sudden somebody's showing up at my door asking me what I had to do with this, and I have to prove I'm innocent rather than be presumed guilty. I'm sorry, I have to prove I'm innocent rather than being presumed innocent. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that, that's the thing, too, with Bitcoin. Like, it's just, it's traceable, which is what the intent was in the sense of, like, address to address. Sure. But the moment they start associating people with those addresses, now you've gone, up, now you've gone down the wrong path. Whereas with something like Pirate Chain, for example, it's all literally, I see you, I transact with you, and then you disappear. And then you transact with somebody else, then they disappear. I don't know who you just transacted with. Because literally, all I know is we at one point transacted, and that's it. So there's no, quote-unquote, tainted coins. Yeah. Because there's no way of seeing where the coins are. And we have no human history of seeing things any other way, really. I mean, the, the people in power always have wanted to, but what I mean by that is if, if, I, if, if I hire you and you're a taxi driver, and I, you, when we get where we're going, I hand you a 20 and tell you to keep the change, and then you use that $20 to go buy a hammer and beat somebody to death with it, no one comes to me and says, hey, how do you get that 20 bucks? That's really not yeah, anybody's no, business. No, no, actually, nobody comes to say to you, we, we know you gave him that 20 bucks. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. And did you know he was going to buy a hammer with it? Like, I don't know what the hell you're going to do when I do business with you. All I know is I paid you for a ride, you gave me a ride. And it should remain yeah. at that level. I mean, that absolutely should remain at that level. Like, the burden of proof goes to the state, not to the individual. That's the foundation of our legal system in this country. And it's, it's being torn apart right in front of people, and they don't even understand that. Yeah. And so the way that Pirate fixes that is even if I'm spending Bitcoin, if I run it through the stuff you're working on with BPSAA, it, it's like a brand, like that Bitcoin, it's attached to wherever it was before, but it's not attached to me. It's, it's, it's almost like it's born again. It's like a rebirth of that token, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like, you know, no matter where that, where, say you send, 20R somewhere, and then they send it somewhere else. It just keeps traveling the path. You don't know where it went. Nobody does. Huh. So I, I do have one question for you on, like, transaction fees on Pirate are incredibly low. Uh, being in mm -hmm. Bitcoin a long time, I remember cool. when transaction fees on Bitcoin was incredibly low. And really, transaction fees didn't go up. The value of the fee went up, if that makes sense. What prevents yeah. a currency like R as its value increases over time from its transactions becoming more expensive, or does it? Well, uh, in its current state, it's what, say, pirates say, for example, seven bucks. Yeah. Uh, the transaction fee is point zero zero seven. Okay. Uh, dollars, right? So okay. it's seven-tenths of a cent. So if the price were to shoot up to where, say, like $100,000, for just example, um, yeah, the transactions would be crazy expensive. However, you know, there are ways to change that over time. Okay. Like, for example, you know, you can do a hard fork and change certain attributes of the chain 
like for example the the transaction fee so this way it we can reduce that you know and there's other things too to to consider as well cuz like in the next uh 30 40 years you know the trend, the um the block reward goes down to below 0. 0.000 whatever mm-hmm. right so in order to yeah we do have delayed proof of work and things like that so that help that helps secure our chain but if and then in the, in the attempt to you know incentivize miners there's ways we can potentially adjust the tail emissions of the chain like to add a tail emission to the chain to incentivize miners to continue mining things like that for example monero does that right yeah yeah so they're capped at 18 million and 18 18 point something million but after that last coin is minted what ends up happening is they have tail emissions to incentivize miners to continue mining now some people may say well now you're adding more um more pirate to the uh to the max supply well yes and no right yeah we te- technically it is but at the same point how many people lose coins how many how many how many times have people have just sent coins to address or lost the private keys to their address and now all those coins are no longer valid no longer usable right and on top of that we even had um when we migrated from sprout to sapling there's still two million coins over in sprout that are can't be used mm. you know so it's things like that basically accounting for like even like even the smallest percentage of um pirate like for example having the block reward just continuously continuously be point one right yeah because if it's that basically what you're saying is okay I'm adding like fifty something thousand coins a year, even though probably the the rate in which people lose coins or whatever happens they lose their private keys whatever. Or they get, like, there's a lot of coins that are fractionally stranded. Like, you get down to a point where there's, I I have some stuff, like, I go into an exchange and I look at it, and there's a little bit of Bitcoin there, and it's so small I can't move it anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's, 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 so having stuff like a tail emission, while some people think it's bad, it's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as you account for the amount that, you know, is going to be minted per year and things like that, make sure it's not high. Or too low, or low enough to where miners don't want to do it anymore. Things like that, because you need you need miners and a proof of work coin to work to. effectively. Yeah. Right. So, so that so there's there's got to be you know an account for all of that. But then the amount of time is going to take to get to that point, you know, you know, two three decades, you know. So we there's plenty of time for us to figure that out in the future. And on top of that. Will probably in over time be migrating to something like Halo, which is a trustless version of ZK Snarks. Ah, you know, so because that whole you know because every like the, some of the detractors try to lo- try to love to bring up oh you're a trusted setup which is stupid like it, most of the people who say that don't even know what the hell they're talking about. They have no and idea. And the ones that do, the ones that do are trying to inflate an issue that's really a non-issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, we talked so, about that on but, your last interview. You explained it perfectly. That like that's just it's fud. It's it's fud. And yeah, I, exactly. And I so, read the but white either way, paper on going it. to a yeah, and either way, going to um, a trustless version now th- that argument ceased to cease to exist. So, but going to stuff like Halo, it's we're gonna wait on that to see exactly how that's handled with Zcash if there's any bugs. Because we don't, we want to make for damn sure 
that if we migrate to anything, it's 100% solid. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, if we do, if we just jump on it and then all of a sudden, hey, now all of a sudden there's an inflation bug. Oh, shit, we're screwed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta let let tech be proven before you add it to proven tech. Like, cause pirates proven tech, exactly. right? So we don't want to. It ain't broke. Don't fix shit that ain't broke. You know. And if you're gonna make it better, make sure you're gonna make it better before you try. Like, yeah, a lot of people have learned exactly. that. Exactly. the the big thing with us, man, is that yeah, like I said, we're a community project. But the one thing that we care about most. Eat, like eat, and this puts you know the tech and everything second is the community, right? The community is, with us is always number one, always. So whatever we do, we make sure that it's going to benefit the community. The community is going to be happy about it and things like that because they're the people that support us. You know, that's the most important thing in any project in crypto is making sure you take care of your community and the community is happy. Yeah, and you guys have, I mean, and, and kind of on that note, as we wrap up here, I want to let, just kind of put this in perspective. A few weeks ago, I looked up, like, you know, your rank in, by market cap, and you guys were in 300 and something, you know, which is not on the board. And I've watched you over the last day, like, bounce between, like, 79 and 85, breaking into that top 100 with a billion-dollar-plus market cap. Like, yeah. This this anarcho project turned into a billion dollar concern in a couple of years. That is an incredible achievement, an absolute incredible achievement. So, to all of you guys, man, congrats on that. I appreciate that, man. We're we're trust me. Even today, we're still in shock. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of irrational exuberance on the the pirate Telegram channel yesterday. Our group, I was like. Calm down, guys. Like, corrections happen. I've been through this before, but this is great. And, like, you know, the, 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 keep going. If it does, great. But, you know, also don't, don't get freaked well, out. Don't go mortgaging your house to buy pirate or whatever. Like, be careful. Yeah. Here. Well, and see, here's the crazy thing, right? You never really saw a major correction. So Not yet, it got no. me thinking for a while. Well, and here's my, here's my, uh, hypothesis on this, right? is that so many people came in, even new people came in because they heard about Pirate Chain and they heard that, wow, this is the most private crypto in existence, and they're, they're wanting to use it. Yeah. So by wanting to use it and having the amount of Pirate Chain out there spread out as much it is, is as much as it is now, and these people are like, I want to be able to use this currency – allows them to just huddle it and just hold on to it and not just not even thinking about selling it because they're like this is the currency that I want to use over time so when it gets more adopted I can just spend it wherever I want and yeah the secondary benefit is wow the value increase is insane but that's why there's not really any major corrections and that's why I even I was shocked because I was like there's going to be a massive correction sometime soon and I said that around like three or four dollars but it really hasn't happened and that's why I thought of that. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense because all these people that want to use it, they're not going to sell it. They're going to want, they're going to be spending it yeah. on things that they want and transacting with it. So that never goes back to the marketplace to be sold. You know, so that's why you don't see that massive correction that we all expected because people want to use it. Well, it wasn't it's, driven I mean, by, 
it wasn't driven by traders, not yet anyway. Like I think like we might see some real big run up with some correction at some point because most currencies yeah. do. But it, since it's not on Binance and it's not on Bitrix and it's not all these places where people are levering to to trade and they're they're going short and long and collaring and, and all of those sophisticated uh, strategies, it's been driven by retail buying and I'm sure some trading. But I've been watching yeah. people try to trade it and get their ass burned. Going, it just keeps driving oh, yeah. through. Like every time I, like people that have been doing this a while and they're kind of like, you know, small time retail traders, like it's breaking every rule. And I mean, I look at it this way. If, if we value it against Monero, which is the closest thing to it, even though I think this is exceedingly better, then, you know, kind of a target market value. If Monero is fairly valued, you guys should be somewhere in the $20 range. Like that's just looking Easily, at market yeah. cap and and how you know, outstanding uh, units and 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 time left in mining and just basic math. It's somewhere in a twenty dollar range, and I think that I, I'm not saying we're going to go straight there, but I think that like markets discover pricing in time, and I think that'll happen. And I just maybe it's just so undervalued that's why there hasn't been a big pullback. And then you know, disclaimer to the audience: you could go throw a bunch of money in it today, and it could be half of its value tomorrow, and it's. It's easy for Draith and I. You know, Draith's been holding it since it was a, under a penny, I guess, and I've been holding it since Draith came on, and it was eight cents. So, like, if it goes in half tomorrow, I don't, I don't give two shits. But if you, you know, go throw five grand on your credit card today, you probably will. So, always be careful investing. But long haul, I think this is one of the the best places to put your money, even now. Yeah, and um, the crazy thing is too is that. I truly believe it's actually decoupled from Bitcoin. Mm. I mean, how crazy is this? Think about this, right? So Bitcoin was like, you know, like 60,000 or whatever. Yeah. Our coin was going up. It, Bitcoin went up to 64,000. Our coin's still going up. Bitcoin dropped down to 54,000. Our coin's still going up. Like, it completely decoupled from that, that the pairing that I hate, where... You know, Bitcoin goes down, everything else goes down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything follows a trend, but we're breaking that trend, which is insane. And the other cool thing, too, is that, yeah, like you said, the, the price, if, the, if the price goes down by half tomorrow for some reason, like, yeah, the thing is about our team is that, yeah, we don't get affected by that. We're going to continue working as hard as we can, like we always do, to make sure that this project keeps going forward, no matter what. No, that was no. a very good yeah, point. That'll, that'll hurt some of the pockets, but sure, it doesn't matter because we've been doing this shit for free. <laughs> you know, I uh, that's a good point because I, I took a look yesterday and was like, I wonder on you know daily gain how well Pirate did yesterday because it had to be good. And when I looked it up, there were coins that gained more yesterday, but they were literal shit coins. They were the literal shit yeah. coins that are fraction of a pennies that traders manipulate. To, to skim from like and so it's very common for those coins to go up 300% a day and down 300% the next day like that's their thing you guys were the only solid project in like the top 20 gainers yesterday the only one like I don't mean one of like the like today it's it's your top gainers today are a total shit thing called ample fourth governance token Solana, which is a legitimate project, you guys, and then it all kind of goes or oh, compounds on there today because they had a bad day the day before. But y'all had one of the best days ever yesterday, and you're number three in gain so far today. That's in, that's and that is a decoupling. 
like I said, I've been watching my Bitcoin balance go down and my, my pirate balance go up. And that's not a normal thing for solid, <laughs> solid projects, right? Like I said, like, you know, I don't give a, like, what about Dogecoin? I don't give a shit. I, my view of Dogecoin is Elon Musk gave the entire crypto community an intelligence test and a lot of people failed. That's, that's how I view Doge, man. But, hey, tell people how they can learn more about you, Pirate, and the BPSAA. Sure. Yeah, you can go to our uh, website, pirate.black. That's P-I-R-A-T-E dot B-L-A-C-K. And um, check us out there. You can uh, go to our Discord. You'll find our social links, our Discords, things like that. Um, you can check out the DPSAA at dpsaa.vision, V-I-S-I-O-N. You can check out what we're all about, all the projects in it, learn about each and individual project. Um, and on top of that, you can find me on Twitter or anywhere else that's uh, Pirate or DPSAA related. You can uh, find me on Twitter at, at the infamous Kata. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, I thank you for taking so much time with us and, And uh, thank you for, in, I, I would say, enriching many members of this audience. Uh, the the kind of excitement in our MeWe crypto group over the last couple of weeks has been pretty awesome to watch. And I, I know there's people whose net worth has literally changed due to the fact that you first came on the show back in November and uh, made people aware of this. So I appreciate that as well, man. Yeah, man. Like I've had several people message me recently or message me and the team about how we changed our lives. You know, they're able to quit their day jobs and just, you know, do what yeah. they really want to do, which is amazing. So it makes me happy. And there's one guy who actually said, you know, can't wait to see my face when, you know, all this, all those tips that I give out in Pirate Discord and stuff end up being worth millions. I'm like, actually, that'll make me really freaking happy. Yeah. Because I'll have changed people's lives. And that's what we're trying to do, increase people's privacy and change their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I had somebody ask me in the group yesterday, how does it feel to make people rich? And I'm like, that is one of the most amazing, happy questions I've ever received in my life. And how it feels is fucking great. That's how it feels. It feels fucking great, man. Because I, I think that we're in a total different world here. Like, people in the normal world, I guess is what they call it. It's not very normal to me. They're worried about what they can get. And in this world, I think there's so much abundance for people that want to be actively participate. You can be joyful for everybody else's success. So, again, thanks for being with us today, man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, with that, we have wrapped up another episode. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Draith today. Draith's a guy, I, I told him off air um, once we got done with the interview, like, if you're doing something with Pirate or BPSAA, like they just did a uh, kind of like a summit webinar. It's like three hours long. It's all recorded. You can find it at the BPSAA website. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. I'm like, tell me, because I'm your guy. If you're doing something like that, I will promote the hell out of it for you. Because I really believe in what these guys are doing. And I'm not looking to them to be the solution. I'm looking to them to empower us to create our own solutions because these things are tools. You know, you give one man a saw and a hammer and he, he ends up with a bloody thumb, right, and, and, and a missing pinky. You give another man a saw and a hammer, he builds a house. It's up to you what you do with these tools. All we can do is take these tools and start assembling them and using them to build a better life, a more private life. And I really think this is going to be the keys to the nation. That's what these things are going to be when they come together. They are the, I have been talking about virtual nations since 2014 at least. 
There's a, a podcast I've done, if you go look up Libertas, spelled just like it sounds, Libertas, a virtual nation. I think that was from 2014 or 2015. And I talked about how these types of things, before they even existed, could be used to create a society that is parallel to this society where we could exist and do business and work with each other and not be bothered because it's not anybody else's business. I've always wondered how that would be. I knew that it would be. I'm looking at the genesis of it. And please understand, it's the genesis. This is the infancy of the second world, the true second life. The second life that's not living in the virtual world. The second life that is living in the real world linked together by common ideals through the virtual world. So that we can find each other, but we don't have to know where each other lives. We don't have to know all the things that everybody wants to know about everybody else's business. We just need to know, I can get this thing or I can provide this thing to this person and it will all work. We are going to set up private systems of governance. It's going to happen. This is a natural evolution of humanity. That's what this is. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It certainly doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. But nothing worth doing is easy. And no tyrant has ever willingly given up control. It must be wrested from them. It must be taken from them. And you don't do it by asking. We don't ask for permission. We're not going to vote our way into freedom. We're going to have to live free. And dare them to try to take it from us. If you don't have the stomach for that, you'll come up with an excuse for why it won't work. And I'm going to tell you this. There's never been a time in humanity where we've had a greater advantage in fighting for our own freedom and liberty. If only we will have the courage to stand the F up and take the shot. With that, let me remind you, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always help support us. Just by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day is one. I haven't brought this around in a while. I love this stuff. And it actually kind of takes me back to like my, my childhood. Like I'm talking 12, 13, 14 years of age. I, I've always loved cooking. Those of you who have listened to the show, you know I love cooking, right? You just know it because you can tell when I talk about it. And I used to watch TV back when there were, you know, four channels, NBC, CBS, and ABC, and PBS, right? And like you had to fiddle with the rabbit ears or go outside with a monkey wrench and turn the, the big antenna a little bit because your dad was too cheap to buy a rotator. And uh, on PBS there was a dude named Chef Paul Prudhomme. And this guy was big old heavy set dude, but he was amazing. And I learned a lot about cooking from him. Well, a few years ago, I was out fishing with Patrick from MT Knives and a buddy of mine named Thad, and we got into striped bass and white bass and catfish. I mean, we had a hell of a day. And we were sitting back on the dock, and, and, and my fishing guide buddy, Omar, was cleaning our fish for us, and Patrick was asking me how to cook the striped bass, you know, what was the best way to do it, and I was giving him some ideas, and Omar's like, use this Chef Paul's black and redfish magic. And I'm like, well, I'm going to try that. When a guy that fishes for a living tells you to do something with fish, you give it a shot. And it never really clicked for me until I went home and looked it up that it was Chef Paul Prudhomme. And I ordered a big old tub of this stuff, like 24-ounce tub of it. And I couldn't believe how big it was. And I was like, boy, I hope this is good. I opened it up. I swear to God, guys, I could eat this by the pinch out of the container. The reason I'm bringing it around today is I just finally wore it out, and it's empty, and I need to order more today. I'm like, yeah, I should run that again. 
It is great for cooking fish. I give all the procedures for doing blackened fish with it. And, and you have to understand something about Paul Prudhomme and this, this seasoning and this method. When this guy started out, the redfish was considered like a saltwater carp. It was considered a trash fish. The regulations we have now protecting redfish are because this man's recipe drove it near to the state of extinction. And I don't think that's what he was trying to do. It just was the natural result of people going, holy crap, this is good. And a fish that at the time had very little limits or regulations or whatever, because nobody up until then ever ate the damn thing. And if you've ever had black and redfish, you know that that was stupid and you should have been eating for a long time. Now, the other thing about this stuff, though, it has become one of my go-tos for all meat and all fish. Chicken, pork, steak, scallops, everything. One of the things I found most recently with my last trip to Florida, I went to the store and they had uh, oysters, live oysters. And so I got some to eat on the half show because I like them like that. I'm, hmm, I wonder, maybe I can get other people to try them if I cook some. So I shucked a bunch of them. But left them in the, the larger, when you shuck an oyster, you have like a flat and a, and a, and a concave shell. So I left them in the, the deeper part of the shell. And, uh, you know, you use your shucking knife and you, you separate that abductor muscle so that you could slurp it down if you wanted to. But you left it in there. And then I sprinkled it with this seasoning, threw a jalapeno and a lump of butter, and got a really good hot charcoal fire going and set them on the the grill right above the fire, right over the hot flame, not flaring flame, but good hot coals, and just cooked them until the butter completely melted and the little liquor that comes out of the oyster started to simmer a little bit, so they were fully cooked. Holy crap, was that amazing. This stuff is like magic. It's an incredible recipe, and the quality is through the roof. If you can't tell, I like it just a little bit. Give it a shot. You'll see why. Chef Paul Prudhomme's Magic Seasoning Blends, you can find it at tspaz.com. It'll be in our daily mail today. It'll be on the Telegram channel. It'll be everywhere that I am that I share everything that gets published on the blog. So make sure you're connected with us some way. And remember, you can always support us how? Do your online shopping starting out at tspaz.com. Brings us to our song of the day. We're in 420 week, and we're going to play a song for you today by Tom Petty. And I think the actual real title of this song is You Don't Know How It Feels. But when it came through in John Adams' uh, uh, list of music for 420 week, he called it Let's Roll Another Joint. And that probably is the most famous line in the song in celebration of 420 week. I give you the great, the legendary, and the late Tom Petty.
let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint. Let's head on down the road. There's somewhere I gotta go.